Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. We've been looking at, you know, just really the idea of self-deception. We read in James. Let's just, let's just look at that passage. Travis is back there. Show Travis some love. He's jumped on the team back there. One day we'll get um, Travis and Blake up here too. And by the way, Blake is the girl. Travis is the boy. I don't know how many people have asked. Which one's which? Like, have you ever met a girl named Travis? Have you? No. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. But this has just kind of been the heart of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. James 1, verse, starting in verse 21. Therefore, and now here's the thing. If you're legalistic, you see this as a legalistic passage. If you're just a believer, you see this as a goal that you have to attain. But if you're a disciple, you see this as instruction. Did you follow me? Like, if you're, if you're just kind of, you figured out that God loves you, you're actually in a new covenant, God is not holding your sin against you, righteousness is not a bar that you live up to, it's a gift given to you after you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. If you accept that, and you know that, but you haven't really taken that step into, you know what, Jesus is my Lord. He is my master. Yes, he's my elder brother. God has put us in the context of even husband and wife. But I'm a disciple. I want to live under the instruction of my Lord. Amen? Not to keep him happy. Not to try to work my way into blessing. But because when I follow his instruction, it will go well for me. Do you follow that? Life works better when you follow the instructions. These are the instructions. God loves you if you don't. You're not going to lose your salvation over it, but it works better when you follow these instructions. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. So if you're hearing it and you hear, well, that sounds legalistic. I don't have to do that. You're, you're a believer, but you haven't transitioned into being a disciple yet. You know, And the thing that we're getting ready to go into over the next, probably it's going to take a couple of months to get through, is kind of our core values and beliefs. There's 10 of them. You can go to the website and read them. You can jump into our Welcome to the Family course and kind of get a head start, but we're going to take a week and go through each one. But we're moving from believers to disciples to servants to leaders. And it's not that you can't lead until you've gone. You know what I mean? It's not like a progression that you have to do one before the other. It's more mindset than anything. And, it, you know, it's a good slogan for our course. But we want to definitely move from being a believer to a disciple. You know, praise God we believe, but I want to to be able to receive the discipline of God and it actually change me. Now, he disciplines us with his word and his spirit in love and in truth, reminding you of who you are in him based on what he finished in Christ. Amen? The discipline of God does not look like a broken, a torn Achilles to humble you. That's not God. That's, you, that's me 
Ignoring God is what that is, just so you know. God's discipline is teaching you inwardly with truth, with his spirit, getting you back on course, showing you the truth, and it's up to you to receive that truth or not. Sometimes that discipline, it's, ooh, I don't like that, God. I don't, I don't like that about myself. I don't like that you're telling me that I actually need to reflect your glory. You know, sometimes it feels that way, but it's the truth that he uses to guide your heart back to righteousness. You are righteous because of what Christ has done. Amen? Now, his discipline guides your heart so that you actually live that way. It's, it's kind of like when you're in a, a rough area of water and you've got to use that oar to get yourself back to that flow, but then when you get in the flow, you just go, you rest, right? It's the, the oar is his discipline getting you back on track. It's not external beating you up, it's inward. So if you hear this and you feel like, I don't need to do that, you're still just a believer. But if you hear this and you're like, yes, I believe this, I, this is what I desire, you're a disciple. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Man, I'm telling you that. It, that, still, that hit me about three weeks ago and it's still resonating in there. Humbly, true humility is to set aside who you think you are, good or bad, and adopt who God says you are, which is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, cleansed, made holy by his blood, a temple of the living God. Humility is to set aside either your self-righteousness or your sin consciousness and reaffirm your identity to be in agreement with what Jesus did for you and who you are in him. Amen? 22. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. You know, we all live in different levels of self-deception. We're really good at deceiving ourselves. You know, letting different levels of sin stay in our lives because it's like your sin used to be really bad at an 11, and now you got it down to a 3, and you're okay with that. That's deception. Maybe you don't cuss at them anymore, but in your heart, you're still angry at them. You're still a murderer, according to Jesus. Thank God he paid for that, right? Yeah. We'll leave Kopi alone. He's already owned up to that one several times. We love you, Kopi. Don't just listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Let's say it together. Go back. Do what it says. Say that. Do what it says. 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like some... Now, it's so fascinating to me that he says if you don't do what it says, he doesn't go to like punishment or discipline or guilt he takes you back to reaffirm identity. Do you see that? It's so incredible. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So you forget that you look like the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, cleansed, 
holy, acceptable in the beloved, delivered from the power of darkness, translated into his kingdom with all of his promises, yes and amen, toward you and in you, and God, a good father, desiring to be your provider. You forget that that's what you look like when you don't do the word. You get that, you put that guilt mask on and that shame mask on, and that guilt and shame mask keeps you behaving that way. But that's not who you really are. Stop. Take that mask off. Let yourself see yourself. We're all in different levels of denial in one way or the other. That's why we still behave the way we do. Some is just more obvious than others. But if you're still doing it, it's because you have forgotten who you are. 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. You know, and I've heard people talk about whether, see, there's all these different laws in the kingdom now. Law, this, law. And it's like, these are all just different ways to say that you're free in Christ. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. You know, you can separate the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus or the perfect law that gives freedom or any of that kind of stuff. There's one law. That is, you are in Christ. That's just my opinion on that. But who, I'm not going to argue about it, but, you know, I'm probably right. <laughs> Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. See, doing the word doesn't make you righteous. Doing the word reminds you that you are righteous. And it builds a confidence in your heart so that you are confident before God. And 1 John 3 says, when you're confident toward God, you have anything you ask for. This is why you do the word. It develops a confidence in your heart. You're working on you. All that stuff that you know better, you stop it or you start it because of the confidence that it develops. Amen? You're working on getting your heart whole so that you naturally follow God rather than, try, rather than trying to keep some legalistic law. So they will be blessed in what they do. Now the legalistic mind hears this and says, if I do the word, then God will bless me. No, that's not really what it's saying. What it's saying is, if you live this way in agreement with God, you will walk into blessing. God has blessed you in Christ Jesus. Your state of existence is blessed. And, and I'm, it's such a subtlety because, you know, it's, there's not much different between the difference between the legalistic preacher that says, you got to do right to be blessed, and this that says, do right and you'll be blessed. But it's the heart of the matter. It's the understanding of the identity as you are seeking to do right. You, you see the difference? Verse 26, those who consider themselves... Reli- now, this is practical, and, I, and we'll see how much time we have. I'm going to try to get to this. I've got another chunk before I want to get to this point, so this may transition to next week. But So he just tacks this on. He says, look, if you're not living it, you're deceiving yourself, and you've forgotten who you really are, but it's all right, come back. And he says, here's a clue of how your self-deception might be manifesting. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. 
and their religion is worthless. Wow. You know, things like that, they seem out of place, but if you look at it in context of identity, your mouth is a big indicator of where your heart is. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'll get to that in a minute. Let's go to uh, Matthew 16. Flip over there. I heard one preacher say that he wants an app that has page-turning sounds as you're scrolling through your (laughs) iPhone to get to the scripture, you know, to make preachers feel less subconscious about people not bringing their Bibles to church. But anyway. All right. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples and he's getting toward the end, and he's, you know, you forget how plainly he spoke to his disciples. He told them very directly, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be falsely tried. I'm going to be hung on a cross. I'm going to die, but three days later I'll be back. I mean, he told them that directly. Jesus, standing right in front of them multiple times. But, but watch. See if you see a little bit of yourself in Peter here. And what I mean by that is on one hand, Peter hears God, and then on the other hand, he's listening to the devil. All right, here we go. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? I mean, that's a whole other teaching in and of itself. Jesus repetitively referred to himself as the Son of Man. Everything Jesus did, he did as a man. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin, was faced every single temptation that you ever faced, but he never sinned. But he was limited in the same way that you are. It's just such a miracle. He was God. He never stopped being God. Jesus is not a created being. But in the manifestation, while he was here on this planet, he was a man, full of the Holy Spirit, following God, just like you are once you get born again. He just never had to get born again. You, you, it's, it's such a paradox, but, but how he lived was how you are now, full of the Holy Spirit, guided with this new heart, the limitations of flesh, but followed God. That's encouraging to me. So that's mini sermon there. Verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Keep going. But what about you? Who do you say I am? It's a big question. Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Amen. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. And Peter's got to be feeling pretty good about himself right now, right? I hear God. How do you feel when you know that? I mean, if Jesus were to stand in front of you and said, you just heard God. Good job. You feel pretty good, you know. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Pause there for a minute. Verse 18. It'll be a mini-sermon number two here, all right? And I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, but Jesus built his church on the rock that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Not the man Peter. Well, that was easier than I thought it was going to be. Do do you see that? You know, this wasn't the installation of the first pope. 
rock is a reference to a revelation, and the revelation that Jesus built his church on was that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. And, and it's weird. Sometimes people will say, well, God, you know, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Are you kidding me? You don't know what he's saying there in, then in places like this. He is overtly claiming to be the Messiah. Next verse. I will give you... All right, no. So Jesus asks them, who am I? You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah, Peter. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's a whole other sermon. I'm going to keep going. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. That was a timing matter. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and on the third day he would be raised to life. He tells Peter, I am going to be arrested. I am going to be killed. I'll be back three days later. It's all through the Psalms, prophetically, that that is what's going to happen. He should know this, right? Well, what does he do? When it's time for him to fulfill that, Peter whips out the sword, whack, whacks the dude's ear off, you know? <laughs> Next verse. Peter took him aside. I mean, this isn't just in the moment he stands up. This is like, think about this. If Jesus were standing in front of you, right? Jesus. And God shows you something, and, Pete, and Jesus is like, that's right. And then later, after he's done preaching and everybody's gone, and you come up to the stage, and you take Jesus, and you're like, Gee, I need to talk to you, Jesus. And you take him back over to that back hallway over there. This is what Peter's doing. He takes him aside to rebuke him. <laughs> never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Don't say that, Jesus. Don't you know that you're wrong, Jesus? I can't trust what you're saying, Jesus. I know that you're what you're telling. I know that you are truth manifested, but what you're telling me is wrong, Jesus. I realize you're God in the flesh. You just affirmed that to me, so I'm probably right on this too because I feel it very strongly, Jesus. You're wrong. I was right a minute ago. Right now, you're wrong. Are you following me? Because you do this. We all do this. Next verse. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have... Now, watch this. Look at what he attributes. On one hand, Jesus listening to God, and on the other hand, I mean, Peter listening to God, and on the other hand, Peter listening to the devil. He says, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What he's talking about is what Paul teaches in Romans 8, to be carnally minded, is death, be spiritually minded, is life and peace. This is, how, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is not the uh, concerns of God in mind doctrine, and then you've got the spiritually minded doctrine. Are you following me? See, I love to do this. I love to, when you run across things like this in Scripture, help you understand, and me as well, realize that there's not all these different doctrines that we've got to pull out and lift out and categorize everything and develop our system and all these different things. No, this is talking about either thinking spiritually or carnally. Just different words. Same concept, different words. Amen? So, 
On one hand, Peter hears Jesus, God. On the other hand, he hears the devil. Do you think you might do the same thing? Now, don't get freaked out because what we do then is we register for a course that's $249 and it's 27 weeks to figure out is this Jesus? Is this my soul? Is this my flesh? Is this my father from the past? Or is this the devil? And there are lots of courses out there designed to help you figure out what voice you're listening to. Now, I believe in training and helping your heart discern and learn and all that kind of stuff, but it's really easy. Let me give you, let me tell you how to tell the difference between God and anything else. That's just, that's the categories, right? There's God you're hearing or there's something else. It's all the same. The something else is all the same. Here's how you tell the difference. When you think about what God says is possible and it seems hard or impossible, that's carnally minded. You're listening to yourself or your mind or the flesh or the devil. Did you, did you catch that? When you're thinking about something that you know that God says is true, but it seems like it's impossible, you're hearing the devil or the flesh or your dad from 27 years ago. What, it doesn't matter. But when you hear the truth of God and you're like, yep, amen, you are spiritually minded. Is that too simple? I mean, do I need to make it harder? You can still give $249 if you want to, you know what I mean? If that makes you feel better, you paid for it. But I'm serious. I am dead. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to minimize the training that we get in charismatic Christianity. But it's just so much simpler. If the things of God seem difficult and impossible, you ain't hearing God. You're so cute. Look at you. I just want that to sink in. There's a little girl up here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's looking at me with this gigantic smile on her face, you know. So. However, she's been distracting me for years because I remember when she was this little. And Anyway, in a good way. So, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up if the things of God seem difficult. You might just be listening to the devil. And so what? That should be your response. Taylor's laughing back there. Amen. That should be the response. Oh, this seems impossible. I should stop listening to the devil, and I'm going to meditate on the promises of God until they feel like truth to me. To me. Yeah, well, an example would be I've got, I'm in debt, the debt collectors are calling, and I'm struggling, and I'm not going to make it. God, I don't think God told me the truth that you're my provider. God, you're not showing up and miraculously delivering me from this debt. And then you start developing a callus toward God in your heart toward financial provision versus you know what, I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate to me who God is. God told me that one of his names is, he's my provider. He promised that he shall meet all my needs according to his riches in glory. Jesus teaches, teaches in Matthew 5 and 6, uh, 
He knows what you need before you ever even ask. And then he says, look at these flowers over here. Look at the birds. God takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable to God than a flower? Why are you worrying? Seek the kingdom. God will provide. He'll add everything to you that you need. And then you get inspired. It's like, okay, I'm listening to God now. Does that make sense? Now, in any area, healing, trust me, I've had this battle. My foot, maybe it's kind of sore right now. I'm still going over my doofus move of ignoring God on that diving board, you know? What you point, who are you pointing at? Oh, no, it wasn't their fault. That was my fault. It's Mike's fault for letting me put that diving board in, but, you know. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and cover this because I think it's a good way to end and process because, you know, I realize it seems a little scattered, but here's, here's the point. We want our Christianity to be real and practical. We don't want it to just be doctrine where we pat ourselves on the back because we understand the new covenant and we understand identity in Christ and salvation by grace through faith. You know, we don't want to just say, well, at least I'm not legalistic like those guys. We want it to be where you are doing the word and you're experiencing real transformation. Amen? Amen. And, huh? Want the fruit. I want to see the fruit in my life and yours. We're in this thing together. I don't feel like that I'm some know-it-all sitting up here disseminating information to you that you don't have. This is just part of what I'm here to do, what God has called me to do, and it's help us all remember. I mean, trust me, the last two weeks, I have preached to myself more than I've preached to you guys. I came in here last week feeling like I think I should have called somebody and had them preach, but when I left, I'm like, I needed that. I needed to hear those words, you know? Huh? Amen. You know, don't forsake the, this. Don't forsake us assembling together. We need this. Not because we need to keep an organization going and all that kind of stuff, but we need remembering and reminding and, you know, staying in the Word, in the word and loving one another. Koinonia. Amen. So the practicality of what I'm talking about here of On one hand, Peter is influenced by God, and on the other hand, he's influenced by the enemy. Right in front of Jesus, on one hand thinking carnally, one hand thinking spiritually, one hand being self-deceived, not letting yourself remember what you look like in the mirror, but the mirror of the face of Jesus. I mean, that's the mirror that we're talking about, the glory expressed in the face of Jesus. That's your mirror. That's what you're predestined to be conformed into is what he looks like. Not by works, but by his grace shaping you and transforming you. But the battle is in the mind, like we talked about last week in 2 Corinthians 10, that we tear down these strongholds because we get our thoughts in agreement with what Christ was obedient to. And you use the names of God like we did at the end of worship this morning, and you you meditate on those names of God until you are convinced that God is those things that he said he was. And it becomes real for you. And you can lay aside whatever the world is telling you that you are, even based on what you're doing, what you did last night. And you're still, maybe you're, you're sitting here, you're a little hungover. Maybe. You know, I mean, let's get real. 
Or you can't wait to get home because you've got that prescription bottle sitting there and you need those pills you think you do. You know, I want transformation because you remember who you are because you can look at the face of Jesus and not look away because it's like you, you, you are one with him. But one of the biggest ways of an indicator, you know, it's we want markers. We want markers to help us stay in line is your mouth and your tongue. <clears throat> Proverbs 8, I've got two more passages. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What in the world does that mean? Those who love it will eat its fruit. Well, if you look it up in the original language and you look at it in context of what he's talking about, the second, so death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's pretty easy to understand. The second part of that is you will eat the fruit of what it loves. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You will eat the fruit of what it loves. Does that make a little bit more sense? Now let me reframe it a little bit more. You will eat the fruit of what your tongue loves to empower, whether it be life or death. You are going to have in your life, you are going to eat the fruit of your actions and your choices and your words based on what you love to say. And love is an expression of the heart in this matter. You're thinking, well, but I don't, I don't love cussing out my kids when they do wrong. I don't love that. No, but in your heart, that's how it's coming out. Very powerful. Very. Yeah. You're going to eat the fruit of what your tongue empowers, whether it be life or death, good or bad. That's just the way it works. So watch your mouth, watch your tongue. James 5, look at this, James 5.13. We'll end on this. Is anyone, now, this is a process. You know, this is, this is some wisdom that was given to the church to process things in a healthy way. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. You're in trouble? Pray. Seems pretty logical, right? Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Versus go for the bottle or let me do something irrational. You know, some of you get to feeling good. You get to having a little sense of peace, and it's like, thank God that guilt is gone. Let me go party a little bit. You know, it's like you finally get free, a little bit of that guilt and condemnation and shame, and you're like, ooh, let me, let me go back into that thing that was making me feel guilty and shameful because I'm not feeling guilty and shameful right now. You know, it's a weird cycle that we get into. So when you're feeling free, sing. Don't think, let me go back and, oh, yep, it's still hot, you know. Does, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Are you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, in the power and the authority of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the, per, the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. I don't doubt that. I do not doubt that. I'm not experiencing the full manifestation of it, but it's not God's fault. I'm not even really looking for fault. It's, it's what's going on in me. I don't know why. I don't care. All I know is God's a healer. 
If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. 16, and this is really what I want to end up, on, end up on. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let people that know their righteousness pray for you. Because when they do, there's not going to be the guilt and the shame and the condemnation in it. If when you pray for people, people are left confused or feeling like they've got more work to do rather than feeling left at peace and in confidence toward God regardless of the outcome, you're not aware of your own righteousness as you're praying for them. And that's something that we want to build up in is know who you are first before you ever try to pray for somebody. If, if you are concerned about the outcome when you pray for somebody, you think it has something to do with you still. But this thing about confessing your sins to one another that you might be healed, you know. <clears throat> and looking at this concept of being self-deceived because we've forgotten who we are. And even Peter before Jesus is in the middle of deception, but yet recognizing the promise of the ages, the Messiah manifest before him. And the split second later, he's pulling Jesus off to the side and saying, something wrong here, man. You're not, you know, that, can you, that's deception. But yet he tells Peter, feed my sheep. Man, it's so encouraging how Jesus treats people. So our self-deception, one way you can deal with it is be honest with people. Find some people that aren't going to judge you and condemn you. Take them off to the side. You know, I realize that we all confess in stages. So when somebody starts telling you darkness, you know, develop a poker face. I'm serious. You learn this in counseling. Somebody tells you something crazy and you, you want to go, Don't do that. (laughs) Not because you're trying to get information out of them or you're trying to manipulate them. You want to be a safe space for that person. You know what I mean? Now, if you're freaked out, tell them you're freaked out. I don't know if I can handle this, man. You know, I'm concerned. I don't know. I don't trust myself to hear this right now. You be honest. If you're the hearer, you be honest as well. But learn to be a safe place for people. Learn to be a place where people can come to and draw living water out of a human being and experience forgiveness. At least experience no condemnation. Because that's what that person needs. That person needs to have an interaction because, trust me, they are beating themselves up. They are just waiting for you to do it too. The people that are concerned about coming to you and talking to you and revealing their hearts to you, they have already beat themselves up way more than you ever can. So just don't do it. Love them. You're not, and don't ever say, oh, it's okay. You know, somebody says, well, I'm, you know, taking 27 pills a night and drinking a fifth of Jack Daniels and I'm beating my wife on the side. Don't say, oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Be honest. Tell them. This is, this is, you know this is not okay. But let me help you com- connect to who you are in Christ because it's the gospel 
The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This person needs to experience some salvation, some deliverance, some healing, some wholeness. And we get to be the people that, bring, that help them connect to God in that way. Amen? Don't you want to be that? I do. I get to be that for a lot of people. I wish I could tell the stories that, that I've experienced. I mean, some really powerful things. You know, really, really powerful things in this church. And it's amazing to watch what, what the gospel does in a human heart. You know, this is not you coming to this church and trying to be taught by me. This is a collective gathering of the body of Christ as expressed in this thing called forward. Right? Now, here's the deal, though. I only have so many hours in a day. And I learned from Jesus, you only try to take on so many at a time. So we need to be that for each other. Right. Amen. Amen? And I'm not trying to make an excuse to not meet with you, but it's like you know, go, the body of Christ is here for each other. Let's learn to be the body of Christ. We are commanded to love one another, and it's our love for one another that will show the world we follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. But your tongue, pay attention to your tongue. When somebody confronts you, where do you go? When you try to open up and be honest to yourself, where do you go? What does your tongue say? Are you deceiving yourself, or are you going to make that choice to put the word into practice so that you can experience blessing? It's, it's, it's our choice. We're moving from believers to disciples. I want to be a disciple in every area of my life. Amen? Amen. What's your decision today? You know, what is, how does that make sense to you? Maybe it's not some big, deep, dark, heavy thing, but maybe it's that subtle area. You know? And I'm not asking you to pick out your area of sin, but just those areas where the things of God don't seem possible to you. Right? Those are the areas that we're being swayed by the world. I want everything that God has said is possible to feel possible to me. I don't want to think. I, don't even, I know that God is not withholding, but I don't even want to think, what's wrong in my heart that I'm not receiving? I don't even want to think that way. I just want to stay focused on the character of God. Because when we humbly accept his word, it saves us. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for how you created us to desire relationship, to desire connection, to desire family, to, to desire just interaction with each other. We are relational, emotional beings because you are. You are a, a relational, emotional being. You desire to experience joy with your people. God, we just want to humbly accept your word and experience your salvation. <clears throat> we want to be a safe place for ourselves. We want, to be able, we, want to be remi- we want to be able to remind ourselves, get a hold of our own thoughts, and go look into the mirror of your glory in the face of Jesus and feel completely accepted And feel like that's my reflection. When I look at Jesus, that is who I am. God, we give you our hearts. 
So to have that experience. So we give you our hearts to be able to, to not look away from the face of Jesus, but to fully embrace our identity in him. So that we experience your blessing and we can be a blessing to others. I thank you for your peace. Thank you for your truth. We love you, Lord. Amen.